Welcome to Fascism Podcast. I'm Jackie. I'm Hope. We get together and we talk about what we wear and why. Yeah, we have conversations about fashion, art, subcultural aesthetics. We read, 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 read during the week and then we talk about meaning and, you know, we keep it loose. Yeah, sometimes and sometimes we get a little serious, but like not like that. You know what I mean? Not like that. A podcast for the girlies, <laughs> etc. Is that a woke term, girlies, etc.? I think so. (laughs) I think they get the point. Um, We're DIY, so don't hold us accountable for, I don't know, sound quality all the time. You know, how our brain to mouth functioning works. Because, you know, we're just not professionals at this. Yeah. Give us five stars if you want us to buy better equipment. That's like Hope's only way to get us better equipment, please. Before we get into today's topic of the fashion industry's appropriation of sex work... Jackie, what's trending for you? So what's trending for me? Mostly monotony. I mean, waking up, going to work, working out, and then studying, and then going to sleep. And that is my life. That is like fully my life. Yeah, you've been in a real rhythm. Yeah, and it's depressing me, but I'm also like, I need, it's just like school. Like I have to just get through this till my next stage of life, like getting through studying and passing the exam. This is for my arborist exam, for those that are interested. You know, I got to make money in the process. It's just part of life. So the monotony of life is really getting at me. And I don't even want to do things anymore. That's like, you know, when I have a little bit of time, which I don't, I don't want to move. Yeah, I mean, you've been going to work in person and it's mm-hmm. it's a whole, that's, it takes a lot out of you. Well, it's only three days a week this week. But when I'm home, like the days that weeks I'm home, I have opportunity to leave sometimes to like go line dancing. And I'm just like, ah, the idea of leaving, it stresses me out. I don't know. But just because I have to like study, <laughs> have been not as active in my like social life. It always happens like that. Also, something that say with monotony, I feel like boys out of the woodworks have been into me lately. And I just wanted to brag about that because it's great. It just feels like I'm back in the game for no goddamn reason. Oh, man, it feels so good. The other day I was like having a an intrusive fear of like being really old and never getting to have that feeling of someone being obsessed with you again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm like really enjoying this. I was like, I don't even know if I like this. This one person I was like assuming liked me. And then I was like confirmation by the way he acted around me one, t- one time. You like noticed him from afar, noticed him noticing you and you were like, I know what this is about. Yeah. And then it was confirmed it was confirmed true it just got me like juiced up like in the sense of it it really broke the monotony in the sense of i don't know i was like i felt alive (laughs) Mm. this is why people cheat yeah for sure that's why people cheat Uh, because i i mean i don't even know if i like this guy you know but it was just the the excitement of it all being like noticed and me being right and my you know being in like him paying attention to me versus other people yeah that was great <clears throat> yeah i'm glad i'm glad you could feel that um that blip in the monotony universe what's trending with you trending with me are boundaries i feel like i'm just have been setting more boundaries feeling like more decisive in kind of boundaries I want to set one I guess boundary you could say was one that I drew between me and a therapist that I had a really terrible intake appointment with I kind of told you a little bit about this but she was it was the most painful hour of my life it was like I mean that was those that was an exaggeration clearly but like (laughs) She first off, I told her, you know, like I've been struggling like with like having some political arguments with my family and like whatever. I get that having a political argument in and of itself isn't necessarily something you need to go to therapy for. And I know there's memes out there that say like, oh, Thanksgiving's an opportunity to convert your conservative uncle. It's t- it's a time to have hard conversations, but it's like 
no, that's actually not probably doing that much good in the world, honestly. And I've have had positive, whatever, I've had positive conversations with my family about things before, but it had a couple of them in particular had just been like really getting to me. Like I couldn't stop thinking about it. And so I was like, okay, I need to go to therapy rather than like burden my friends and partner by just talking about it all the time. Anyway, I told her this and she was like, oh yeah, I don't get caught up in any of that stuff. I just completely steer clear of political debates. And I was like, that's terrible advice. I'm like, okay. It's not even advice. It's comparison. It's like, why are you talking about yourself right now? And why are you talking about yourself in a way that's like, kind of like, oh, wow, I'm above the kind of thing that you're experiencing right now. This is why therapy is important, but like you have to figure out the therapist you want because it can actually be in like detrimental to your mental health. Well, and it makes me feel like also people who have really like toxic beliefs or beliefs that I don't like, they're just going to choose therapists that reinforce those anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I guess, I guess what if the point of therapy is to make you as an individual feel better than like, then I guess those people are still fulfilling their goals. But she was also just like, she was asking me about my whole life and just like would would be type, type, typing. And then she'd be like, oh, oh that must have been so sad. Okay. And then um, have you ever acted on suicidal feelings? Like just really like trying to be personal about it, but then also just like forcing me to go through my entire history. And then when I said I hadn't acted on suicidal ideations or whatever, she was like, yay. It was just like what the actual fuck wow what is this lady's deal and she asked me about my partner she was like oh yeah is he oh i mean i mean he or she oh gosh well i've really stepped in it like just like being really like self deprecating or like clearly she's like maybe pissed some people off or like she feels like she's like has to be a therapist to all these liberals and she's like oh god i've i've really stepped in it was just like such a weird i was like okay dude just chill out anyway I told her I never want to see her again, aka send her. You told her that? I sent her an email being like, I- I'm not going to make any further. I'm going to cancel Friday's appointment and-, and not make any further appointments at this time. She just didn't respond. I just, I ghost all my therapists. Well, it was like through this company that had already like made me an appointment. Oh, okay, okay. So well, not I- only did she not, I was like, let me know if there's anything else I need to do to cancel an appo- the appointments. So not only, she did not respond to me. So I still was, I got a message being like, your appointment's on Friday. So I had to like call them and cancel, yada, yada. Better help is also an example of terrible therapy. Oh yeah, I was gonna, oh, damn, I was gonna make a joke being like, and that's why we're sponsored by BetterHelp. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, yeah, I've heard bad things. And it's like the people who I hear talking about it, I'm like, you don't use BetterHelp. They talk about their, right. they talk about their experiences Therap- with therapy, therapy. and it's yeah. like, you're not fucking using BetterHelp, dude. Yeah, dude. I mean, I did BetterHelp and it was awful. Mm-hmm. My experience was just like, they have no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Not trained therapists. They're just, and they're probably not getting paid enough, but so there's like cheap labor. It's fucked up. Yeah. I'm really open to someone who's new to being a therapist after like hearing what Brian, my partner and his cohort are learning in their program and stuff but so like it's not like I need someone who's been doing it for 25 years but I mean like bad therapists exist and like there's a lot of them (laughs) also like just therapists that don't mix and match with you and it's like really hard and better help just because it's affordable and online doesn't mean it's actually better help and I think it just like takes trial and tribulation and I mean I'm I'm not in therapy currently just because I know how much work it's going to be to find my therapist it's kind of like the same as a hairdresser I feel like a hairdresser has been impossible for me to find because I just want to like not talk and feel comfortable in that silence and that makes me feel so much better because I I'm kind of insecure about the fact that I don't like talking at the hair salon it makes me feel like I'm like I'm like I don't think I'm better than you I'm I'm not like it's just like it's often not fun for me it's often not fun for me I'm also scared about the results because it's 
never exactly what I want. We don't have a real, I just don't bond with them. And then they always say something, I mean, not always, but all my experiences so far have been like, they say something off the cuff that I don't agree or align with and I have a problem with. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm here for the next two hours. So I'm just going to have to deal with that. And I don't know, it's just like, <laughs> it's just as hard as finding this therapist is all I'm saying. I just love that like <laughs> you, ha- like you being in a situation where someone's doing your hair and they're like, fuck abortion, right? <laughs> and you're just like sitting there being like, oh my God, <laughs> I can't say anything because my... <laughs> My aesthetic is in their hands. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, somebody did say something about like, that was very transphobic because they were talking about their dating life. And I was like, you should go to Coven. They're very like trans positive. Okay, cool. I mean, are they pro abortion? (laughs) I'm sure. Why don't why don't we get to chatting about today's topic? Yeah. on the island in the back room she was everybody's darling but she never lost her head even when she was given head she says hey babe take a walk on the wild side said hey babe take a walk on the wild side we're gonna be talking about like sex work fashion and i'm briefly kind of going to go over the history and some theory it's not as detailed as maybe you want it to be but we're going to scratch the surface today it's a big topic and and, you know we might dive into it more later but fashion designers have many in many instances appropriated or appreciated sex worker fashion and so we want to kind of like have a conversation about that right and as well there's like as it's known to be the oldest profession profession in the world so there's just so much to cover yeah and it's deeply rooted in varying degrees of class because there's like a sex worker and then there's like what's that the bougie version that an escort yeah and those are two different concepts really too and let's dive in i am taking from uh about five articles one is a sex sells a iconograph of sex work in contemporary art since 1973 by Mackenzie Philbrick. Another one is Fashionista's website, I guess. Uh, and it's a brief history of select clothes. New York Times, I have two articles from New York Times, which is time to trot out the fish, fishnets and put on a show. Ruth LaFerla wrote that. It's always fishnet season somewhere. It's another New York Times is, again, a Ruth LaFerla piece. Seems like she reused that topic a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and then High Fashion Harlots, How Prostitutes Change Fashion History by Carolyn Becca and at medium.com as they do. Given that the body of the prostitute, I shouldn't say prostitute, I guess, sex work, has historically been regulated by those in power. And today, human trafficking is estimated to generate $150 billion annually. Did you know that? I didn't know the number, but I know it's a humongous industry. It's crazy. I just don't, I just wanted to put that out there. So essentially there's a lot more at stake when we're talking about this fashion and just the clothes. I just think it's good to remember there's a lot, there's money at hand being money, lives. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. It's, it's a big industry. When we're analyzing the fashion trends and being rooted in sex work, it expands beyond that, essentially. As does everything, but I just wanted to kind of like start with that. Mm -hmm. $150 billion annually. Is that worldwide? Supposedly, yeah. But I don't know how they got that number. Don't ask me. I don't see how you would actually garner that number, especially since it isn't regulated. Yeah. Asking someone to follow you on social media seems benign today, but it had another meaning in ancient Greece. Sex workers had the word 
akolathi, which means follow me in Greek. I'm not saying that right, obviously. Inscribed on the bottom of their sandals with small metal studs. These sandals left impressions in the unpaved earth and soon... No way. Yeah, and soon science workers became known as earth beaters. Whoa. So they would... It was like their little stamp and it was so that they had a special footprint that you could follow them. Yeah. Whoa. Genius. Seriously. I went deep uh, researching like certain Greek empress and like like famed sex workers and they're... It's... insane i don't know like it seems it was i was reading it was real history too and it just seems like everybody's stabbing each other in the back it's like game of thrones for real in in the ancient rome times like wow it's very intense the only way women had real power was through like means of class but also through like their sexual entice and anyway there's this the famed sex worker hermione whoa i don't know i'm like the, the did she know that? Did, what's J.R. Tolkien? What's her name? Oh, J.K. Rowling. Fuck her. But like, right. Um, did she know that? Did she know like a sex yeah, worker was question. famous? Or a girdle and bordered with love me always, but do not be jealous if others do as you do. Okay. All right. <laughs> wow. Were we talking about like embroidered underwear at some point or like mm-hmm. corset episode where they like had to basically have a stick that like kind of lined their back to give that frigid look and they would paint on it and stuff and they would say words and stuff on it once ancient rome was basically in full swing which aka had roads which i think is kind of funny it's like the way ancient rome was considered like fully functioning is when they had all the connecting roads sex sex were were a a thing essentially what were you gonna say i mean yeah roads i i did i read a lot about roads for my thesis in college and it's um i mean roads are just like if you think about like civilization as being like, it's like the sharing of information. Yeah. And so it's like roads allow you to like, yeah, trade and communicate with like so many more people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they couldn't get out the word about how great uh, Rome was unless they had roads, right? Right. Um, they couldn't conquer unless they had roads. But it's essentially sex workers were on the ladies of the night, the ladies of the streets. Authorities needed to tell the difference between like sex workers and like good quote unquote housewives during this time. I mean, as they always do. So right. blonde bombshells became a thing. Basically, authorities made sex workers wear blonde wigs. Whoa. Yeah. Which I just thought was kind of interesting. I'm like, blonde wigs from what? How did you make blonde wigs? Yeah, they had they couldn't have looked that realistic. What we would have said, camp. So giving camp. What would so like? What if you're a sex worker and you don't wear your blonde wig? Do they see you and they're like, no, I know you're a sex worker. You're in trouble because you're not wearing your blonde wig. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs. You know, like I guess you're kind of like in the air. You know how they identify sex workers now? I mean you know, and arrest people for being in a certain area, essentially, and talking to men, essentially. I don't know. And I think that it's just easy. I don't know. I don't know. But like, I think they, people could identify who was of, of night and they just wanted to be a little bit more clearer. I mean, who they need to pause because they hated women. You know? White Lotus. It's like, that was a huge storyline was like the hotel director being like, I know you're, I know why you're here, you know, mm-hmm. based on how they were dressed. And mm-hmm. I was even reading some stories of people like, yeah, getting arrested while eating alone at like a hotel bar or something because they thought that they were sex workers. Oh my God. How embarrassing would that be? I mean, sa- it's sadly embarrassing. We I would be, be embarrassed. so embarrassed, but I would also be like kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> right. The 16th century, we're going to skip up to the 16th century. I know it's a big whoop but we are okay so courtesans are another word for escorts so like they're in the next level of escorts um sex workers became so ubiquitous that petro artino can observed that rome always has been and ever will be the town of 
whores. Wow. Okay. So Rome was certainly not the only city where sex work was rampant. Uh, Venice also had its own thing going on, especially became celebrated for its art, architecture, and women, which honestly, that's what I want. That's the lie. That's what I literally. Those are the things we're celebrating. Yeah. I'm just like. Food could be on there. I'm just kind of mad that I didn't get to experience this time period. It seems like it was kind of luxurious. I guess if I was like somewhat wealthy. Yeah. So Venice estimately had roughly 11,000 sex workers and we're servicing like 300,000 inhabitants. Wow. Which I don't need, I can't even really put the number to that. Sex workers per capita would be like 1,000, 1 to 1,000? I guess so. Wait, 1 to 3,000? Wait, how many people? 300,000 people. <laughs> 300,000 to 11,000 sex workers. <laughs> 1 to 27? <laughs> One one sex worker for every 27. Are you confident in that? I like how you, I heard you typing and you going, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think, yes, I am confident. Okay. One sex worker to every, uh, to uh, 27 people. people. That's a good amount. Of, that's a good classroom. Right, 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 right. No. Yeah. That sounds like, yeah, they were able to cover all of the material. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. It's a full, that's a full load though. Okay. The difference between a Putna, uh, aka whore, kind of respectful, Matrana, which is a married woman, your lower class or lower class courtesans, which is again like sex workers, were usually easier to spot. They dressed like men wearing baggies, which is like a cod pieces with low cut dresses that revealed their breasts. What pieces? Cod pieces is what they're called. Like the fish? It's spelled like the fish, but I don't know what a cod piece is. You wanna googs? You wanna get good googs for that? With a low cut dress that revealed their breast. Whoa. A cod piece from Middle English, cod scrotum, is a triangular piece that's attached to the front of me- of men's hose covering the fly. Oh, wow. It's almost like a jock strap. Women, that's hot. That's a cool, that's a good look, honestly. Wow. I like this. This was the lower class ones. Gucci under, you know, Alessandro Michelle included this accessory in his spring summer 2019 Of show. course he did. They always do, right? It's not, nothing's new. Also was saying with this, obviously we don't abide by like lower class meaning sluttier, but like there is a perception. Like t- yesterday I was talking to my ex, unfortunately, but whatever. I, we like each other. Um, we don't hate each other. And he was talking about like, I was talking about hoop earrings because I was like going to do a piece on new hoop earrings. He's like, yeah, there's that phrase. It's like bigger the hoop, the bigger the whore. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, I just feel like that's another way to cut down like low class, like lower class women slash people of color, women of color, essentially. So there's always there's always been a way to identify lower class. It's always been a way to to establish that they are like lesser than and in the society. Not always, but predominantly. Venetian sex workers wore shoes that had intimidated even the most daring supermodels of today and because they're like insane they're called like they're super tall yes they're called panellis and these shoes were made of wood and elevated the wear of a, a foot above the filthy ground navigating a dirty street would be next to impossible without a help from a suitor or two so how so how did that help them navigate the street it didn't help them navigate the street they just wore them you know like high heels like today like well, I've seen sex worker. We have sex worker. Everybody does, but like, there's a street uh, Aurora that you can easily, un- unfortunately, spot by the way they dress again. And I think it's also just like the fact that they are. It's a. It's a way of. It's the way they occupy public space, and that like it's right. not a street that most people walk down. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so the fact that they're walking on Aurora, right, is is very telling. It's a lot of high heels, a lot of like 
pleather. So it doesn't look comfortable and it probably does not, not help you navigate the street as well. Well, so it's interesting because you're saying that like they, the lower class prostitutes dressed similarly to men. And so it makes me wonder if the high heels were also part of that masculinity in that they were trying to be taller and bigger. Maybe. I just don't understand like where high, why high heels came to be. I don't either. Like why, but like this is in Venice. So like, I don't think practicality was ever a part of it. So like, we're not, I think we're still thinking too practically. I think there was just like an establishment of this is a weird art thing, you know, like we're going to look different. Yeah. Because they made a lot of shit that didn't make sense for fashion uh-huh. yeah maybe there's also a delicateness to it if they needed help from suitors you know like i'm a you know delicate woman yeah Unsta cortegiana. i don't know why i'm doing italian but it's in here okay uh, which is honest courtesans which is basically an escort dressed so luxuriously that it would be hard to tell them apart from like the rest of the matriarchal society and it was especially problematic when they attended mass the oh. church was a fashion runway of the of the day and often the only chance most women got to show off their wares so we can imagine that if you were a respectable noble woman and some hussy pranced by you wearing some glitter than uh more glitter than a christmas tree you would be really pissed off because you're like i want to look the best i don't want her to look better than me yeah you're like i followed the rules Mm. why does this person get to enjoy their life as a free woman and look better than me piss you off yeah plus the courtesans were probably having a hell of a lot of fun like more fun just like in general you what makes you say that i mean they didn't have to be at home they had the freedom to live because they were wealthier i mean well you're saying these particular like you're saying the high class courtesans in particular led like a, a a nice life yes they were like they were usually suitors of like dukes and princes and such so they had like their own house and like lived a world that most housewives would only dream of to be because like again wealth financial independence to women is independence essentially so yeah i think and i think like that's going to be part of the conversation of this topic today's is like like supporting sex workers while also not like falsely glorifying what is often a really violent career and it's like i feel like a huge thing that impacts it obviously is class like you're saying and it's also like perception within society because like these women maybe they were like maybe they had their own homes maybe they had a lot of money but like if they're not accepted by society they're they're like not going to live a good life still i'll yeah it just like all depends on the culture you know for these women in particular if they were, you know, a sex worker or not. And that was like, they could blend in with the rest of the world versus like lower class women were, had stood out. Right, right. The class wars led to this upstanding socialites of Florence to be put pressure on this guy called like the Grand Duke. I don't know. To enact some subsidiary laws, which are basically fashion laws to restrict extravagance for sex workers and courtesans. Whoa. And uh, these courtesans and uh, sex workers were not allowed to wear gold, silver, gemstones, or even silk. No. That meant no fancy shit, okay? Um, So this led to like a practice of, of sex workers flashing their necks to show that they were like unadorned. So they would always be like, I'm not wearing. Whoa jewelry despite the complaints subsidiary laws persisted throughout italy and became difficult to enforce in renaissance florence sex workers were required to wear gloves wooden high heels and a bell on their headpiece so everyone could hear their her siren jingle which i'm like rude oh my god like a fucking cat 
I know, dude. And they also had to wear a yellow veil with a big tacky yellow stripe on it as known as the whore's mirror. Huh. If you wanted to find a sex worker in Florence, you just had to follow the yellow stripes like a like a roadmap. Oh my gosh. Other towns had diff- were different during the Renaissance and sex workers were like the supermodels of their day. And the first costume book called Alba and Macromium contained detailed information on the fashion taste of these leading ladies. So Florence was kind of an outstander of that time. And some most of the Renaissance people depends on the time period, but a lot of these like courtesans that were highfalutin really got to live an extravagant life. One of the first examples of this early amalgamation amalgamation. Wow, amalgam yeah amalgamation. Woo! <laughs> of sex and fashion was this guy Crispian de Pass, the elder's memoir. In the Ford of Memoir, I'm saying his name wrong, okay? Crispigen writes that the book is intended as a fashion guide for noblewomen. He apologizes for using courtesans as his subject matter, but they were quick to adopt new fashions. Okay. They were quicker to adopt new fashions, apparently. Wait, he apologized? Yeah, he apologized for using, because like this, the first fashion book that was ever really created was by this guy, essentially. And he was like, this is for noble women. And I'm sorry that I used a lot of like courtesans as my models, because he like painted, like drew this. But they're just like quicker to fashion than most people. Okay, he wasn't apologizing in that like, oh, sorry, I like appropriated them. He was like, sorry that you have to look at these yeah ladies yeah in Ber in bergamo bergamo a saffron colored scarf was required for sex workers to wear in piedmont they had to decorate their headgear with horns in milan they were required to wear white in in 1492 and black in 1498 white again in 1541 so there were just other countries that are other cities that were establishing these fashion laws to be able to essentially identify these sex workers out in the world. And since that was, and it still is, such a necessary way to make sure that they can persecute the women that are living these kind of lives, lifestyle versus the men that are the clients. During the Victorian period, fashion got trampled by the morality police. Um, this is like in England. So the décolletage was out and women buttoned up to the neck decolletage thank you what does that mean that's no, a french word part of your body. is that what people always say i feel like i've heard my mom say it oh, okay okay i'm, I'm like mm. the decolletage was out so no showing of the collar hope was pointing to her collarbone ish yeah the like upper chest mm -hmm. yeah so you're because before they were showing their chest to be like no jewelry you know what that means yeah and ladies couldn't even show an ankle without the collective <gasps> oh my god so that was that Victorian, as we know. And the courtesans dressed even more provocatively, though. So they were like, fuck that. So famous courtesans like Catherine Walters, who was also named as Skittles. That was her. Okay. I know. I'm like, is that where that name came from? I'm like, just finding, I'm like looking at all these names. And I'm like, are we stealing these names from okay. like, anyways, were wore flamboyant dresses, heavy makeup and skin tight writing habits that left nothing to the imagination, which is also like tight lacing corsets that we talked about. Like the tight lacing was a practice only done by floozies and whores. So I'm assuming she probably did that. Celebrity uh, courtesan Cora Pearl, who I went on a deep dive on her, showed off her avant-garde fashions by taking leisurely carriage rides through the Bois de Boulogne and equally skin-tight riding habits. So she was just like going on carriage rides just to show her off her outfits. Wow, an amazing option for a promenade. <laughs> and yeah, this is like very Julia Fox-esque, like just showing off her fashion and wealth 
Aristocratic women began noticing Cora's fashion parades, and a new trend for showing them through the park and ostentatious ensembles was born, which I love. Essentially, there's this like untold history between sex workers and fashion, obviously. I mean, it's also very told, but it's also not talked about. Cora Pearl, um, who I just mentioned, she was a client to Charles Worth, and she was who was like the era's first like celebrity designer. Her style was just basically copied by noble women. Coral Pearl lived in Paris. She was an English woman originally. She's just kind of fascinating. If you ever want to go into her world, I would highly suggest it. Uh, she lived an extravagant life. She unabashingly, everybody knew she was a sex worker, but it didn't matter. And she was like just living the high life. Eventually, some shit went down where this guy that was obsessed with her, this Duke, and she was like, actually, I'm not that into you. You're going to have to leave. And he got like really pissed off. And then he brought a gun to her house, and but it backfired on him and it killing him. No way. And yeah. And then this, uh, assumingly to shoot her, right? Like, and this like controversy like kicked her out of Paris. Because they thought she killed him. Maybe. Or just like, I think essentially they hate women and like anything that if men get hurt in this process then they have to be out of the deal i don't know what the whole deal is like it was too much of an affair there was like too much to be taboo about it so she was she like basically died penniless and it's kind of upsetting but damn definitely worth amazing story a24 <laughs> get on that and they would make it creepy somehow. Um, That's true. Yeah, they're really not the best production company for that <laughs> plot line, but I don't know any other production companies. But she started from a lot like nothing. Not really nothing, but she was like, I'm going to be free, right? Like I, So she left her grandparents' house. Her dad sounded like an asshole. But anyways, she left her grandparents' house and um, got raped. Um, unfortunately, her first night out on the street, she met this guy and like he bought her food and like drinks and then she got raped and she was like, what the, even though she was a virgin and she woke up to like a $5 bill next to her door and she was like, what is this? What's going on? Was like $5 bill in like 1800s? I don't know. Yeah, that's what I, like so a, I maybe that's like $100. Um, yeah, time. I'm trying to figure out if it was like, she was like, ooh, I can make money or if she was like insulted. I think she was both. I think she was like very confused because she was like, she was a virgin at the time. I think there's also an aspect of her being like, men are disgusting. And I think her being like, I'm going to live on, I'm going to do this. So she never went back to her grandparents' house and she essentially like went into a broth brothel and was like, I'm going to fucking do this after that night. It brings up a lot of thoughts for me about just like, walking around alone as a woman like the fact that in some it's in some places and times being out alone as a woman was literally only something that sex workers were yeah. doing and how like even today like i mean in seattle as a 32 year old woman i don't get harassed but in san diego as a 15 year old woman i most certainly did and it's like if you're out alone it's like people see you as a target or as like an option for themselves right. that was exactly what was happening this is like victorian times remember like she wasn't supposed to be out like that's the thing like her family was like you can't go out in the night so she was naive and thought i'm gonna fucking do it and she did it and her trajectory of life completely altered from there most of these women that made the shift in fashion like i've said in clothes were like higher class sex workers and that's what i'm trying to establish like the sh the fashion of the times wasn't done by the lower class sex workers even though they had their own sense of fashion but it's usually for recognition for people to be able to be like that's a sex worker it would be too taboo to adopt their fashion right as a yeah because it was like they were they were punished by law 
to wear certain clothes. So if they, if someone else to wear that clothes, that would mean that they would be punished by law. Even Cora Pearl had, after joining a brothel for a short time, she like studied the life around her and realized that the life of the common sex worker was a very tragic one. And with the best results being a woman that could end up poor and degraded and the worst being a future that held disease and death, she resolved to practice the trade with higher expectations with the goal of becoming the kept woman of select dedicated lovers with the financial means to keep her in luxury. So something to chew on and think about because there's still a class system like we've iterated so like within the sex work industry this was also around the time Karl Marx started to think about labor using sex work as a pinpoint to his theory about how work is exploitative. And there was a discussion that I was reading about how he first was like, sex workers are selling their body, but then he was like, no, they're selling a service. And that kind of transformed his theory of like, how cap, how like employees are always exploited by the labor inherently by itself. And although he spent a little time pondering about how capitalism influenced gender relations, Marx Marx acknowledged sex work as a legitimate form of labor, which we should all do. He explicitly addressed uh, prostitution, aka sex work, drawing a comparison between the sex worker and the laborer in his economic and philosophical manuscript of 1844, in which he states, prostitution is only a specific expression of the general prostitution of the laborer. This reflects Marx's opinion that capitalism forces the laborer to sell their labor power to the capitalist in order to earn a wage and survive, ultimately rendering all work exploitative. So he's just saying, yeah, like prostitution is just one form of whoring your body out. Yeah. For Well, a service, yeah. Yeah. Providing a service and then like to for sur- means of survival and still not getting a end of the, a good end of the deal. Marx's theory posts posts that a worker will perform a certain amount of labor to survive and meet their needs so that capitalism is no longer personified, but a larger process without a particularized subject. Within this framework, Marx recognized the sell of the prostitutes labor power in the form of service sold to clients and the exploitation of the resort results surplus by the capitalist employer or the pimp essentially and marx's account of prostitution is further complicated by the violence and the corrosion that is rampant within the sex industry and propagated by the lack of effective regulation yeah kind of just fascinating and interesting about how like sex work has even like informed theory of capitalism totally yeah i love that connection sex work after world war ii and Foucault's theorization around sexuality arose around forward two, um, which Foucault's another mm-hmm, about sexuality. His theorization about sexuality. He was Foucault is postmodernism theorist from France, and he did a lot about sexuality and power dynamics, and you know mental illness, and the ensuring reinforcement of gender roles, which made the state's concern with biopower increasingly obvious. This is right after. World War II, like I said. During this period, the war campaign called women out of the realm of domestic domesticity and into the workforce. There was this huge shift because men were at war that they were called in to work. Enlisting middle-class white women to join the workforce was a significant task given their traditional position at home. So it required like a bunch of campaigning and propaganda essentially to get them there. And up to 6 million women in America joined the workforce from 1942 to 1945. That's 6 million women, okay? As they maintain a precarious balance between their new masculine position in society and their social constructed femininity. And that is displayed in the visual content that the propaganda is pushed in. Like Rosie the Reveter is still like traditionally beautiful with ma- masculine elements. Like right. it's just like ideal female worker. Right. And I mean, we've talked about like how magazines at that time 
we're putting like we're instructing women on how to like do their hair for a factory you know like how to do a cute short haircut so that your hair doesn't get stuck in the gears and like you know how to how to still be beautiful in that context yeah and then of course when men came back all these women were told to go back to being homemakers Mm -hmm. and which was had to be a huge mind fuck yeah i mean it's basically what started like the feminism of the 60s right exactly this binary of like really presented itself during the post-war of like how women dressed i mean it it was exasperated after the war to become homemakers identify as homemakers versus like workers and this was implemented to, I guess, to identify again, once again, the floozy versus the housewife. The harlot can never be a homemaker. And the male gaze defined this new, like, era of fashion among sex workers, as well as, like, the new identity of homemakers themselves as as women, as wives. Yeah, there just became, like, a deep binary of Madonna versus the slut. And it stemmed out of the clothing they wore. The freedom of choice in clothing was perpetually non-existent. And yeah, the feminists were like, nah, dude, we're going to do whatever. We're going to AK burn our bras, but we're going to skip to the 70s. Okay. So the disco era was like where it was the opposite of post-war after the 50s. It was like drag queens and uh, sex workers were all influencing the fashion scene at that time. Fashion in general was always borrowing from the streetwear and didn't get more streetwear than a hooker. And YSLs had this famous runway piece because he's french and also grew up in like wartime france you know and saw a lot of post-war french women sex workers and how they dress and it wasn't particularly how like we think sex sex workers dress yeah but it was at the same time um but really this is kind of how we started to identify with sex workers with the certain styles that we now identify them like tropes wise you know like this was the era of them looking back and bringing it to the mainstream he debuted this like 1940s collection inspired collection in the 70s and french people were fucking pissed okay many of the clothes a giant green colored fur coat dresses tightly fitted at the hips were inspired by the styles worn by sex workers during the 1940s others drew from this ostentatious wartime wardrobes of the very socialists now admonishing them saint Laurent spurred a 1940s inspired movement in the fashion that lasted nearly a decade and it's like those big fur coats like that stop right at the hip those like that's what he brought to the fashion line because he saw it in 1940s sex workers wearing it. Well, okay. Did you do you know about him designing for a 1967 film called Belle de Jour? No, tell me more. Uh, it's just a movie in which a young woman explores her sexuality by working as a high end escort under the nose of her wealthy husband. And there, there. I mean, I was just reading a critique of it that like in that past in the past designers have aligned themselves only with sex work when it's like glamorous you know mm-hmm. like in this case but i just thought that was interesting that like he has explored he has maybe that's why he was hired to do that movie you know because he was already exploring sex worker fashion. what time when, when, it was when 1967 it, was the movie i don't know he this was came out in 1971 but yeah i mean like maybe the line was inspired by that film yeah yeah the douche maggie uh maggie gyllenhaal who plays the this the sex worker called candy swivels her working girl wardrobe of, of short short skimpy tops and and lightly soiled coats the actress talked about uh, her fixation with its centerpiece a boxy fur chubby which is what we're talking about a down market variation of the famously scandalizing look introduced in the 70s by uh ysl one inspired by the wartime 
the sex workers of the Rue Saint-Denis. I'm probably saying that wrong too, but that's like the oldest road in Paris, by the way. Give us five stars so that we can take French classes. <laughs> <laughs> I still would be bad. And if anybody that's fr- French ever heard me, they would definitely we, we don't actually have a lot of French listeners. So. Yeah, why would we? They know everything about fr- fa- fashion, you know? like. Fair. I don't know. It, we've talked about authenticity and how things are like brought and presented on the runway and how it's like taking away, it's making the movement movements more palatable. But there's also creating this like, it's multiplying the, the possible, it's taking away the power essentially at the same time from sex work, but also taking the power away from stigma, the stigma of it. Uh, Especially when you're talking about people who were getting, it was like they were getting arrested if they didn't dress in a certain thing. I mean, it's different because in the in the past they were they their outfits were mandated, whereas now you would get arrested for looking like a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you could argue that, but at the same time, it's like does someone rich wearing a leather harness help someone poor who's actually doing sex work? It's like. No, because they're like, you can still clearly tell they're rich. Right. I mean, class is still not really be. I think the idea of power is being showcased here, but the idea of class is still existent. Like it is still, like, it's always within the capitalist structure, the wealthy is always going to be taking from the less wealthy. I mean, not just in the capitalist structure, right? Like uh, in our, in our world where inequality is just baked into our meant like basically every economic system we've ever had. It's just fraught. I mean, and the question now I think ask, is there even like a specific sex worker look really uh, now, you know? Yeah, it feels, I mean, I don't really, I'm not an expert to talk about it. And I, but I can talk about some collections in the more recent history that have borrowed from sex workers. I would love that. One thing before, I want to also say the French women of the 40s, the sex workers of the 40s and 50s that were in France, they had, an, I don't know if they still have it, but they organized annually this thing called Put Pride, a festival similar to the common gay pride celebration, but with the rights of sex workers. Ooh, that's so cool. Where was that? It's in France. Don't ask me where. I think probably other France. Day. Yeah, I just couldn't remember what, what country you'd said. Wow, that was great. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us a little bit more into the history specifically. I mean, the reason that I wanted to talk about sex work and fashion was because I read that Versace was like influenced by sex workers, and I thought I would unearth like a ton of interesting, nuanced information. But basically, I just kept reading over and over again that Versace was influenced by sex workers but he definitely was i mean he's also gaudy as fuck yeah i just thought there would be like more so the main collection that he's known for in terms of being inspired by sex workers is the 1992 collection called miss snm and it featured bondage wear like famously this like really strappy dress and then these like really high strappy kind of like gladiator looking sandals and as you would expect when it came out, some people loved it and some people thought it was objectifying women. And what was interesting to me is that most people writing about his collection, this collection in particular, talk about him as taking inspiration from sex workers. Whereas like when they talk about Louis Vuitton, he's criticized, they're criticized for appropriating. People seem to like feel more positively about Versace's incorporation of sex work inspiration. And so let's talk about Versace first. I mean, notably Italian. It's like interesting to hear all this history on sex work in Italy and sex work fashion in Italy and then like uh, see how it's being 
still done by Italian designers Gucci and Versace. Versace started his own line in 1978 after apprenticing for his mom's sewing business, which is pretty cute. He was strongly influenced by ancient Greek history. That makes sense. Yeah, and he studied Latin and Greek. He was influenced by Andy Warhol. Courtney DeLong writes, he was particularly fascinated with the colorful, intricate works of the Baroque period, an outgrowth of the counter-reformation period in which the Catholic church relied on expressive art to communicate. He he chose Medusa as the logo of his brand because it symbolizes beauty and danger, fatal charms of the anti-Greek mythological creature who could simply paralyze and hypnotize with its beauty. Uh, with it, he wanted to represent modern women, fearless women of our times. And during a time that favored muted minimalism, Versace was over the top. He is quoted in saying, I don't believe in good taste. And there's a saying um, referencing Versace's rivalry with Armani that Armani dresses the wife, Versace dresses the mistress. Nice. Um, I love that. He was also friends with a lot of like musicians and many other celebrities. And he was one of the first designers to link fashion to the music world. And he basically became the number one designer who dressed women in the 90s. Gigi Fong for Hyper Bay writes, the Italian house's founder Gianni Versace was had always had a fond appreciation for overt sexuality and was inspired to pay homage to dominatrixes and fetish wear. These women risked their safety night by night for low income and Versace paid respects by elevating their aesthetic into high fashion. Boundary pushing show remains an iconic fashion moment today, proving that one can reference sex work culture and receive respect for their designs. Even 30 years later, the collection is still making headlines with Dua Lipa donning one of its dresses for the 2022 Grammys. So I don't know. Maybe that's more credit than he gets than he deserves. You know, did he did he elevate it or is it just that he made a bondage dress? In 1997, though, he's shot. Um, he was murdered. Yeah, murdered five years after that collection and pretty quickly the Met puts together a retrospective it's done by um curator Richard Martin and you know in the exhibit there's all these Proust quotes because we're such a red Proust New York Times there's a New York Times piece by Susie Mank in which she quotes Martin as saying, in a feat worthy of literature, Versace seized the streetwalker's bravado and conspicuous wardrobe along with her blatant brandish sexuality and introduced them to high fashion. In other words, whereas the history of 20th century fashion is littered with loose women whom harmful or whom artful courtiers remodeled for high society, Versace is presumed to have made society women dress as happy hookers. I don't really know about that. But so I just don't get what it's saying. In other words, like in ni- so in the 1900s, fashion is littered with loose women whom artful courtiers remodeled for high society. Is is it saying that like rather than dressing like high class courtiers, we're dressing like hooker like low class hookers? Like his collection was borrowing more from like the actual streetwalkers? Yeah. And on the other hand, we have Louis Vuitton, who puts out a video to promote their fall 2013 collection designed by Marc Jacobs. It's a lot of like jammies, little negligees under coats, very like voyeuristic feel. And they they have this video to promote it that's a of a prostitute walking the street in this like negligee, kind of flashing cars, getting in and out of cars. And the critique is that they're glamorizing sex work. They like make this video without talking to any sex workers, and then they cast Cara Delevingne and some other people to play the parts. Louis Vuitton is also critiqued for a 2009 collection where the models wear sheer tops and fabric headbands that resemble Playboy Playboy bunny ears. I want you to look this up. Tell me what you think. Playboy bunny ears. 2009. 
kind of like it doesn't look like playboy bunny ears to me it looks like a wrap that like sticking out but I don't, is that a sheer top that was yeah that's kind of the that's like from that collection so i don't know that's yeah it looks like a turban that's not been turbanized is that i don't even know phrase it's like erect and it like it does you could i would not have read them as playboy bunny ears but that was the critique and then there's a 2016 collection featuring latex platform boots covered in buckles which is like the styles worn by upper class ex escorts in the 16th century venice and adopted by strippers and obviously like louis vuitton and versace are not the only ones like vivian westwood basically appropriated sex worker fashion too oh yeah like like during her punk days with her store called sex like and then you know later in her collections with like the platform heels and stuff like that like even the corsets yeah i mean it wasn't of the era that would be considered i mean but i feel like overlaying it corsets were like seen as sexual because it's like underwear right so like overlaying it out on the front of your clothes on top of your clothes was like seen as risque and you know so maybe like in that case she she wasn't directly taking from sex workers or i guess i just don't know they wore corsets but it wasn't the exact kind of corsets is what i'm saying okay gotcha it's the different kind of corset era that wasn't as like tight laced as uh, she would as she had but she was drawing on this idea of like liberation and like shock that she didn't necessarily really prescribe to at least not for her whole life but anyway we'll get more into that on next week's episode but abigail moss writes for id magazine in the past designers that have aligned themselves with sex work have done only when sex work was synonymous with glamour and and vitally wealth. She mentions the Yves Saint Laurent movie. She writes, even today, the real experiences of people in this world are kept in an arm's length with only a handful of established designers and brands working with individuals with an open history of sex work, such as Blue Marine, who featured Euphoria star and former porn actress, Chloe Cherry in their August winter 22 show. Chloe Cherry play, played the like heroin addict girlfriend in Euphoria. I can't remember the character's name. She's barely there. I don't know. They The way they talk about it, it's like it was originally written as like a nothing part and then like it became more than it was. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Sam Levine saw some porn she was in that was based on Euphoria. He allegedly messaged her on Instagram because she does she did have like a yeah like an Instagram presence and he thought her she's like she's into comedy she (laughs) has taken why are you laughing I just think it's just really it's just like such a hot girl thing to say but go on I think that's kind of rude like that she can't be into comedy because she can be it's just like I don't know it's just funny to me yeah Yeah, she well she like took improv whatever I'm gonna get into her I want to just quickly remember what her character's name was called Faye so she's known for like her huge exaggerated lips Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm worried for her because she's only like so, she's so young yeah what are you worried about those things get those kind of it moves around yeah you've seen I mean speaking of Versace you see Donatella it's just like it's not it's like you're worried about what's gonna do to her face yeah for a long time yeah so Emily Kirkpatrick does a newsletter called I, Lo- I Heart Mess that I read and she wrote about Chloe Cherry a while ago she said you know I've all you all know I've been championing Chloe Cherry as the it girl du jour 
from the jump, and I'm glad to see she's finally getting the high fashion treatment she deserves. I think extreme plastic surgery girlies and sex workers are a really logical next frontier for fashion to embrace as that's where the industry has been pilfering all of its best design ideas from. Mm-hmm. And between OnlyFans and the rampant use of injectables, that the direction that's the direction that many celebs are also heading in. And she talks about a high fashion campaign that features Chloe Cherry by none other than Versace in collaboration with Essence. I think I sent this to you when it happened. It's so good. I love it. Is she like, is this a fluorescent lighting, lighting room? It's kind of like futuristic and like she's got. Oh, it's like, yeah, it's like she's in, in the work room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like dystopian. Interesting. Yeah. And I have shoes similar to that. Anyways. Nice. She so and, and Chloe Cherry has also walked for Laquan Smith and, and GCDS. And I just think that that's an interesting example of like one way to incorporate aesthetics from sex work without leaving them out of the equation is is by like bringing them into the fold. And like, I think her career transition is a really interesting example. I did just listen to an interview with her on Emrata's podcast for research. And she, she like feels really proud of her work as a sex worker and like has a lot of like, fuck you, you like a lot of people told her she was ruining her life and like that she was never gonna whatever like be able to get married or like have a real job god forbid i know and like she feels like she wants so she wants to write a memoir because she wants like young girls to know that like they can do what she did and like i know and like that I'm making a face like, no, don't do that. And that's the thing. It's like she had a really good experience and she says that like, and I think some of her, what she said was super interesting and valid. I mean, it's all valid, but like she talks about like when she was waitressing, people would touch her and it was non-consensual. And she, it's also like, she describes it as like a very, very low grade sex work and that you are flirting and like you're oh being a waitress and like when you're 18 you are viewed as a sexual commodity whether you profit off of it or not is kind of like what she was saying she also was like very she was saying a lot of like inconsistent things like i don't know that she has a super super well-formed opinion and she's really really young cocky oh she's young too yeah and like very like look at look what i did and like but i mean i don't blame her for being cocky it seems like she landed the one of she's like in runways and stuff like acting, she got, yeah yeah she got in, in the coolest show that exists as of right now you know like fuck sam though i don't i hate that guy yeah i think he was preying on her what i think and um she did get the good in the stick though because she got to be like i don't know make money out of it yeah like you could see yeah like i mean it's like whether he found her from instagram or from her only fans it's like maybe doesn't matter but he yeah he just he's just this creep yeah it's what it comes down to i don't like that he's writing about teen girls i'm over it totally totally and it's like that's what, what worries me about like the memoir thing is like like, yeah, you had a really good experience, but acting as though that's the dominant experience of being a sex worker just seems a little irresponsible. It's And also, she's too young to, like, write anything. Totally. Like, you have to have – reflection is key, and she has nothing to reflect on. She's living in it right now. Yeah. Because um, this isn't going to last forever. 
unfortunately for her. So there's she hasn't really experienced any woes yet of life. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like she can have... Not that you have to ha- experience woes of life, but you, everybody does eventually. There's some kind of thing that happens. Life is just tragic, aka that's how it is. So when something happens, I think there's a good. It's a good time to grow and a good time to learn, and she's not there yet. And that's the thing about we listen to Suburban Memoir Book Club as we talk about, and they talk a lot about like premature writing a memoir and like not having enough to talk about, and. Chloe Terry would have nothing to really talk about right now, except, you know. I mean, I think she's like thus far lived an interesting life. And what she was saying was like that she would talk about her porn career and then maybe later write another one that was about like the second part of her career. But yeah, it's even just because you've had interesting things happening happen to you doesn't mean you have like the perspective to right. like reflect on them. But yeah, so that was like not a super flattering portrait of her. Um, however, you know love her aesthetic and also just love the idea of well I guess I shouldn't say like flat out that I love the idea of it it's interesting to think about plastic surgery as being also related to like sex workers aesthetic though I don't know like if plastic surgery is a sex worker aesthetic or if it's because it's like expensive you know yeah it's like a mistress behavior it's so it's definitely like whores uh like a whore gets surgery by her lover who pays for it. They like give the boob surgery, like right. I mean, and I say whore in the, uh, the nicest way possible. I'm right. like saying it in, through a social lens context of what people call that. But I don't even think it's not even like that anymore. It's celebrated. I mean, like Julia Fox has probably definitely had some kind of surgery. You know what I mean? Like, and she's been sexualized. And- well, and she's also has a, a history of sex work. Yeah. So, like, I think she's a really also good example of like a sex worker turned um, non-sex worker, the public actress who's like in the public eye and like who's really embracing it. And like, I mean, I think that that's, we can talk a lot about, oh, like, should you wear a harness? Should you yada yada? But like until society accepts that women can make money as sex workers and that doesn't make them, that shouldn't, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to be, it's like, like what happened to Pam Anderson it's I think like as a society, hopefully we're growing to where it's like, yeah, like you can you can have been in that industry. And that doesn't mean that you're like you're not like scarred for life, even though if I went into that industry now, which honestly, I'm not hot enough to be. <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> I could only wish to be a sex worker in that way. I don't think I could go back to my job. What would I put on my resume? So there is like certain levels to it. It's like I think in the entertainment industry, there's a big crossover. OnlyFans can be acceptable, but like I still think I don't think it's res- something that's doable. Yeah, it could, you're, yeah, it's still stigmatized to where well, yeah, it's and that's the thing about fashion too is that like pushing the boundaries of fashion requires you to have either either like sex workers because they were on the outskirts of society, like they were wearing things that were unique and different and whatever it's like to push the fashion boundaries you're either like an outlier of society or you're just like so rich that you can right buy whatever you want and so it's like unique in that way um I, what's that hunger games i always think of hunger games the, the these days I, I i love the camp i love the overdone it is for wealthy people because it's like clothes that i could never afford all the time i love the maximalist aesthetic i do 
But if you ever watch the Hunger Games, I feel like she nailed it. the writer in, in particularly, but like the costume designers of of Hunger Games really nailed the wealthy aesthetic as being like over the top almost like with Elizabeth Banks's yeah. character. Like that's where we're going. I feel like well, it it goes back and forth, right? And it's like you know, like because right now being you're supposed to pretend you're not wealthy. And like, it seems like, well, it seems like we are entering more of like a maximalist. Well, people are so defensive of be calling Nepo babies these days. So. Well, yeah. And like we talked about the row and tech, how yeah. they've ushered in the austere look, the austere look. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting with like, with the plastic surgery thing, it feels like maybe more so than being specifically a sex worker aesthetic. It's like a performance of gender that we... Like, we see with Dolly Parton, we see with, like, I mean, with Chloe Cherry, where it's, like, accepting that into culture, accepting that into media in a way where it's, like... And the Kardashians. The Kardashians. Though it's, like, they're not taken seriously. I would disagree. (laughs) They weren't originally, but I think they... That's their whole thing, is, like, they're the underdog media source but they're not the underdog media like they are taken fully they're wealthy they have access to political powers right right yeah anywho it's it that felt like a connection for me yeah Yeah. i love Love it it. um yeah so italians (laughs) sex workers sex workers uh what was your favorite part of what of my part Oh, uh, the shoes. I was going to say, this, yeah. which, which, which shoes, though? I where you, where it, like, writes the message in the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. The... It's just, it's so good. I'm, I'm like, should we... I want to appropriate that. I know, I do, too. I do, too. Like, ours would be just, like, little, like, I don't know. It's, like, also tabby boots. I mean, the footprints, it's, like, yeah. Well, I mean, it makes me think of, like, the bondage skirts. Yeah. The, like, what were they called? The... I made a TikTok about them. They're, like, they... It came from a when an airplane. God damn, I'm not even stoned. <laughs> there was like one of the first. Maybe we need to be stoned. Yeah, airport ex- exhibitions, and this one lady was like, "I want to ride in the airplane." So like, okay, and then she tied up her skirt, and it was oh, it was called a hobble skirt because when she got out of the airplane, oh, she yeah. kind of like hobbled away because her skirt was tied like at her ankles, and then allegedly some French designer was there of course he was and he was like started making hobble skirts and they became like a kind of a micro trend of the 1920s because no one could walk in them to the point where like they changed public transportation so that you didn't have to like step up to get on the train and it's like wearing impractical clothes clothing is like looked down upon as like feminine in a way where you're like you can't do anything because you're putting you're you're being superficial you're putting your appearance over like practicality but like that's what life's all about sometimes yeah Yeah. i mean i don't i don't ride my bike literally because i don't want to be i want to be fashion even though i'm never fashion these days i'm too poor to be but anyways thanks you guys yeah i love you i love you too bye bye